We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome on in. This is the RotoWire Fantasy Football Podcast presented by our friends over at Underdog Fantasy. John McKechnie, Mario Puig. It is the week between conference championships and the Super Bowl. So we are going to unpack some early underdog ADP stuff. We're going to get into some overvalued running backs during the show. We're also going to give our quick thoughts on the conference championship results as well as Senior Bowl stuff because the Senior Bowl is this week. So getting an early look at some of those draft prospects and how they are performing in Mobile. Let's start the show. Welcome on in. This is the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast, sponsored by Underdog Fantasy. John McKechnie, Mario Puig, hanging out with you on this Thursday. Mario, let's get into what happened this past weekend. I was wrong on both games, loud wrong on on the Niners game. Although I, I can't fully take the L on that one with with Purdy getting hurt so early in that one, but um, I, I really did think that the Bengals were going to be able to pull it off. Uh, it was close. They had a chance, of course, but Mahomes proved to be inevitable and got got the win, uh, delivered the Chiefs to their third Super Bowl appearance uh, with him as the quarterback. So your kind of overarching uh, takeaways uh, from last weekend and, and you know, your early thoughts uh, as to how next next week's game might play out. Yeah, I definitely think uh, the refs made for a bit of an obstacle for the Bengals in that game. But to be fair, it's also like the the only reason they were even close was because of Mahomes not playing at 100%. And, uh, you know, it, it, if they had won, if the Bengals had won, it wouldn't have been because they won the game so much. It, they, they weren't playing particularly well uh, on either side of the ball. Uh, the defensive side was where it was surprising. I can't tell if... Um, if Andy Reid kind of just got the better of Lou Anarumo in that one after uh, the contrary being the case in at least the prior two games between them. Uh, e- you know, even if Lou Anarumo has Andy Reid's number, he's not going to out-coach, outsmart Andy Reid every single time they play. It's more like, you know, six, uh, seven times out of ten, and you consider that a, a pretty uh, remarkable detail in itself. So uh, th- they were never going to, like – always be good on defense against the chiefs but mm-hmm. it seems like yeah reed kind of got 
a little bit more on Anarumo in this one and in the previous cases. And also the biggest thing I think was Marquez Valdez-Scantling had the best game of his career, which uh, it's it's uh, it doesn't matter now that the Chiefs are in the Super Bowl, but they, they kind of were lucky again. Uh, they were lucky to get those plays out of Valdez-Scantling and because uh, if he hadn't made those plays, they, they just would have had nothing else. Uh, as great as Mahomes was, it's like he he still needed Valdez-Scantling to make catches that Valdez-Scantling usually doesn't catch. And if he hadn't made those catches, it's uh, a lot could have been different about the game. So Valdez-Scantling against Mike Hilton, and it wasn't Hilton's fault. This is actually the, the, the main way Anarumo was getting worked, I would say. Uh, they kept getting Valdez-Scantling against Mike Hilton, who's like 5'8", one. 80 or something and isn't supposed to be fast. He's supposed to be underneath. So all this scantling kept going vertical post kind of routes on Hilton and Hilton just isn't really built to play that game. And there is the one instance, of course, on the MVS touchdown where MVS basically had to do self-defense to, to catch that, that ball because it was such a seed coming in from, from Mahomes. Yeah, that, uh, that isn't an easy catch to be fair to him, but yeah, he's, Normally he's, I mean, for his career going into this year, he had a catch rate under 50%. And uh, he started out this year pushing like 60, I want to say, for the first month, maybe two. And then he was hitting a really long cold stretch going into the playoffs here where he was starting to fall steadily back toward that 50-point line. And, um, you know, I thought going into the playoffs, like, I didn't know which way it was going to go. But if, if he's right at his career line, then, uh, the, the you know, right above it, rather, then the Chiefs, I thought, might have had to worry about him continuing to correct in the playoffs, which is to say regress in the playoffs. So um, I think they kind of were lucky to get in, but also, you know, to be fair to them, the Mahomes injury was not lucky and definitely held them back somewhat. Yeah, no, it absolutely did. I mean, it was pretty much a slugfest, low-scoring game. Obviously, the, the under hit in that one, but, um, you know, now we're going to have Mahomes with a couple of weeks to get that ankle a little bit closer to 100%, probably not expecting him to be fully 100%, but certainly in better shape than it was uh, this past Sunday at Arrowhead. And then as far as the NFC goes, I think I'm done doubting the Eagles. Uh, I know that, you know, obviously the the, the Niners were, were playing with, with one arm tied behind their back or one arm just simply not working in, in Purdy's case. And, you know, Josh Johnson uh, getting knocked out of that game, just a, a brutal sequence of events. Uh, for San Francisco. So offensively, they, they weren't going to be able to do anything. And, you know, the, all the short possessions kind of, you know, one hand washes the other. It's going to make it tougher on this uh, Niners defense and everything. But even still, I felt like the, this Eagles offensive line is just so incredibly impressive. There are just so many weapons all over the field for, for the Eagles. Uh, I do do kind of feel like if if Shanahan challenges that that fourth down catch to Devontae Smith on that first drive, you know, maybe, maybe that game ends up going a little bit differently, but point point stands, you know, the, the Eagles punch their ticket in pretty emphatic fashion uh, over to the Super Bowl. So your thoughts from that game? Yeah, I thought uh, it was a little odd that I, I like Shane Steichen, I think is a normally good coordinator, maybe very good, but it was a little odd how, they kept getting into those um, important situations, like a few times at least. I feel like they had a kind of a high leverage sort of setup in the game, the way the game was going, and they were running fly routes against Traverius Ward with Devonte Smith. And uh, I like the idea of Devonte Smith running so much as a post route against Traverius Ward. Like Traverius Ward's most comfortable on the sideline, playing vertically on the sideline, and he's bigger than Devonte Smith, and not necessarily 
like a lot bigger than obviously Devonte Smith, and not necessarily any slower. So that just seems like one of the worst ways to attack to me. And they kept getting that one on one, I guess, matchup and going at it. Uh, that, that that held back the Eagles' offense a, li- a little. I think. I think if uh, if if you're gonna have Devontae Smith on Ward in single coverage, like get Ward out of away from the sideline where he's a little less comfortable. So uh, I thought the Eagles didn't call a great game, and I think most of the time they call a better game than that. I guess to be fair to Sykin, they were getting a lot more on the ground than I expected, and a lot more than mm-hmm. most teams get on the ground against the 49ers. So. Maybe maybe there was some kind of thing they found there that that um, was easy to miss, but still mattered a lot. I don't know. But uh, yeah, they I, I think maybe this is just kind of, as someone who picked the Eagles, this might be wishful thinking on my part. But I think if it had been closer, they could have tapped into something else that they didn't really do. And I, I'm, I'm not convinced that if if the game flow had been a little different at the earlier. And even if Purdy had stayed healthy for me, it was more like the Johnson injury is where things kind of fell off a cliff um, because I'm biased, obviously, and there's no way to test this with the game being over, obviously, and Purdy having gotten hurt in it. But I just don't think it was going to be a good game at all for Purdy. Like that Eagles defense is tough. He would have had to do more than he's ever done in this 49ers offense and the conditions in which they would be by far the most difficult uh, to this point in his career. So playing on the road I, I just thought Purdy wasn't going to do anything and obviously I, I don't uh, I don't get that I don't get points for being right on that when that's literally not what happened when he got hurt mm-hmm. instead but I, I just uh, stubbornly think that's how it would have gone yeah I mean it that the the Eagles pass rush was getting home all day obviously it wasn't just uh, the Purdy sequence early in the game bad like Trent Williams is great obviously but the other four across the board might not have, I don't know what the, I don't know much about that one, the right guard, I guess, but uh, Banks has not been great. I don't think the center was great. I can't remember. The right tackle sucks. Uh, yeah, he sucks. Um, <laughs> I, maybe I'm, maybe I'm writing him off to every time I pay attention to him. I'm like, why the hell is this guy on the field? Um, but uh, anyway, yeah, Trent Williams is awesome. And it's, it's just one great left tackle uh, of a, you know, one, an offensive line that has five units, only one, the left tackle as good as Trent Williams is not going to be able to just uh, overachieve against a pass rush as deep and as varied as the Eagles have. So yeah, it's, it's a, uh, it's a lot dealing with that Eagles front four. Uh, they got, they got at least seven guys. I want to say who can really play threatening pass rush football from those four reps. And of course they got, they got so much depth that the run stopping reps. Now they have um, Endemicong Sue and uh, Linval Joseph playing like mm-hmm. 10 snaps each. So uh, they're well rested, and they they have a lot of huge guys who can you know throw people around and run fast. Yeah, they they absolutely do. And and you know, looking ahead, you know, we don't need to do the the full breakdown of, of the Super Bowl until next week. But you know, what? How does that defensive front for the Eagles set up against this Chiefs uh, offensive line? I don't know. I mean, I my assumption is the Chiefs kind of win just because Mahomes is a lot better than Hurts, I think, and the Chiefs defense is not bad. I, I think as long as the Chiefs, have, Chiefs defense is not bad, it uh, doesn't need to be good, just something other than bad. I think that that favors the Chiefs, however it shakes out. But, uh, yeah, that I feel like it's fair to say the Chiefs offensive line is better at run blocking than pass blocking, actually. And um, I think if, if Mahomes weren't so threatening as he is, both, you know, the, as a runner included, uh he'd maybe see more pressure. Like if some other quarterback had to play there that the defense wasn't as afraid of, they'd take more risks and 
get more wins against uh like a guy like Orlando Orlando Brown. I don't even think is a real left tackle. You know, he's more he's just he's a up jump to right tackle to me. Um, and uh, yeah, he's he's not a guy who can play that way out in space on an island kind of football. Like it's just it's just not good for him. So uh, there's ways I think the Chiefs can give up pressure if they. I don't know, if, if, especially if they put Mahomes in too many, like, long-distance throws. Obviously, they have to put that play on Mahomes. It, it's not that bad. I mean, I mean, like, they got to avoid getting stuffed in the backfield on a, you know, second and seven, you know. They got to they gotta avoid stuff like that because that kind of situation might be the point where it gets difficult as the Chiefs to hide uh, the more run-blocking tendencies of some of its personnel, especially Brown, I would say. I guess the, the right – is it Wiley who's the right tackle? Um, uh, I can't not sure off I know, the top of my I know head. Wiley's out there, um, but yeah, he seems to struggle a little bit. So those two guys, uh, it's not, it's not just that the Eagles, the Eagles don't even really have a star guy, but they have such a swarm of, uh, you know, eight out of 10 kind of guys that, uh, they'll find some way to test it if, if uh, the chiefs leave it, you know, hanging out there. Yeah, that's that's a good point as far as you know how this Chiefs offensive line is, is built, and you know a lot of the times they don't have to pay for it because Mahomes is is able to you know extend plays with, with right. his legs and and run outside the pocket and all that. So yeah, okay, that's uh, I'll be keeping an eye for. It. Could it be Trey Smith uh, out oh, there? Oh, he's 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 solid though. Uh, I think he's like a right guard or left guard. Um, but yeah, he's he's never the one that I really see screwing up. It's usually like Wiley or I don't know Brown. Just still, I, I know it didn't matter. His combine was the worst ever, but yeah, <laughs> he still shouldn't be one on one with like you know really good athletic rushers. Like it's just he started looking good in the first place because he was playing for Baltimore. You know where mm-hmm. his his run blocking helps uh, soften up the defense and make him look basically better than he actually is as a pass blocker. And now with the Chiefs. The fact that he's a mediocre pass blocker doesn't matter that much because Mahomes just like every failure in the Chiefs offense, he fixes it uh, before anyone realizes it's a problem. Um, but yeah, Brown's Brown's just kind of like skating by on on just like I feel like just just luck kind of like he's, he's just he's just like an average above average starter to me. Yep, uh, I I certainly have no sour grapes uh, about Brown. Uh, definitely not. Definitely not. <laughs> um, let's see. I think my video may have frozen here. Uh, oh, that's me... a bad sign. It's a little early for the attack of the internet. Yeah, yeah. No, it's not awesome. But uh, we'll, we'll keep talking through it. Um, <laughs> uh, as far as the the Bengals are, are concerned, going into next year, you know, we we don't have like the obvious asterisk on their performance uh, against the Chiefs the way that we we do with the Niners. Although, you know, we we could have expected. Uh, Purdy to to struggle a bit in that one, but you know what's the path forward here wh- when it comes to the Bengals? Um, I think they are pretty much a finished product. I mean, if if their offensive line hadn't had the injuries at both starting tackle spots, we wouldn't have heard so many people as we do this particular time complaining about their offensive line. Like that was kind of a complaint that went away from I don't know, like mid October until last week. So. When the complaints come about when the two offensive tackles are out and specifically the Chiefs do a lot of stuff with putting Chris Jones on the edge, which is a little bit further wide than he usually lines up, 
Uh, it's easy enough to, I think anyway, it's easy enough to figure out. I was like, what, what primarily went wrong here is you had Chris Jones playing against your backups, and that's not something that would have happened if the backups weren't necessary in the first place. So, uh, granted, they could definitely do better than Jonah Williams and Lyell Collins. Um, they, there's definitely better than those guys out there, but uh, they got to. Do they already extend Logan Wilson? I sorry to ask a question like that. I don't know if they they got to keep him around. They got to keep. Um, I guess Hendricks Hubbard. I don't know if he's been extended, but uh, penalty aside, I think Joseph Asai looks really good and uh, will be ready to start eventually when they need him to. Otherwise, they're probably going to let Bates walk because uh, they had that wasted first round pick Dax Hill last year. Uh, to not even get that guy prepped to give any corner reps is unbelievable, in my opinion. He's just a, a total backup. Uh, never plays first round safety just so they can say to their already really good safety, like we're not going to pay you next year. Yeah, uh, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna take we're gonna defer our first round pick this year just to not pay you next year. Um, that's smart. So yeah, they they uh, could have used basically a first round pick who actually played this year instead of just one to use as a like a, a spite tool against one of their best players uh, in free agency. The next so I, I got to imagine that Jalen Peter was drafted after um, Dax Hill. Is that the Houston one? Yeah. Okay. Uh, probably. Yeah. Uh, the, the, um, what was the other one? Uh, the bait, the bait. No. Uh, so who's the one? Uh, was it two Baylor safeties? Which one was Brisker? No, Brisker was Penn state, right? Um, so there's also, there's also Brisker who did, who uh, was quite good this year for the bears. So, um, yeah, I think uh, that that Hill pick was ridiculous, even as far as safeties go. You know, it's like he's more like a corner. He's like 184 or something and runs a 4-3-1 or whatever. Um, anyway, uh, I'm not trying to bash Hill. I actually I, I am partly irritated because I feel like it's it's also a failure that they didn't find something for him to do. Like there could have been something for him to do. And they like didn't do it because they were just so incurious about him beyond uh, as a as a foil to Jesse Bates. So um, anyway, I, I really think they could have used, yeah, like a, a more meaningful contributor in the first round. There must have been some offensive lineman, I guess, uh, like some decent offensive tackle who was going around that range. And they took a, a safety who gave them like 10 snaps all year instead. So that was that was something that really hurt them this year, I think. And uh, yeah, they're going to whatever Hill is, if Hill is pretty good at safety next year, that's great. But he's not likely to be as good as Bates. So uh Bell's getting a little up there in age. I guess they got to worry about their secondary a little bit, maybe uh, not corner, I guess not, not especially not outside core. I thought uh, Cam Taylor Britt did pretty good. Yes. Yeah. I, I like the the looks of, of Taylor Britt. I think that he's going to end up being, you know, a, a nice uh, piece in that secondary for, for years to come. Uh, the Bengals are in pretty good shape here. Cap wise. Uh, I believe they're sixth in projected cap space going into the offseason. They're going to need but... to extend Higgins soon. Right. So that there's there's some big contracts uh, still to be paid for for them, and you know we we ran through some of the more depth guys, but you know the the big ones on the table will will of course ultimately be you know Burrow uh, and Jamar Chase and and so on. So we'll we'll see how they're able to navigate that. Uh, maybe use some savings uh, for for next year when they have to to pay up, or you know I suppose they could extend Burrow uh, this coming off season. Uh, before we get on over to our next topic, we got a message from our friends over at Blue Wire. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data 
and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We also have a message from our friends over at Underdog. The 2022 NFL season may be coming to a close, but you can already draft for 2023 on Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy football. Right now, you can draft in Underdog's way-too-early best ball formats in drafts against your friends and fellow Rotowire listeners. All you have to do is join a draft room in their lobby, draft a team, and that's it. In best ball, there's no waivers, no trades, and you get the best scores in your starting lineup each week of the season. And whoever has the highest scores at the end of the season win some cold, hard cash. Just head to underdogfantasy.com, the App Store, or the Google Play Store. Sign up with the promo code RWNFL. And not only will you get your first deposit doubled up to $100, we will also hook you up with a six-month Rotowire subscription to everything Rotowire has to offer for free. That's Underdog Fantasy, promo code RWNFL. And... On that note, Mario, let's go ahead and take a look at some of those way too early best ball drafts. So we already have ADP uh, getting started here as drafts uh, are starting to commence. We got some data here. Uh, you can also check out the the underdog ADP over on rotowire.com slash football. Go to the cheat sheets, underdog that is best helpful, ball. By the way, I, I, I had trouble finding that before, so it's, it's good to have that now. 
Yes, that, that's huge. Um, and, and, you know, we, so we have some of Underdog's data uh, as, it, as it stands, as it's coming in. You go ahead and sort by ADP and bada bing, bada boom, you're there. So let's take a look at some of the running backs who might be a little bit overvalued going into next year, at least right now. Um, I wanted to start things off uh, with, with Kenneth Walker. Um, do you feel like he is maybe coming in a little bit too high? We're, we're talking about a top 20 pick for him is ADP right now, 19.6 over on underdog. Are you buying or selling that? So for what it's worth, that uh, that appears to be him going after Josh Jacobs, but before Dalvin Cook, Alvin Kamara, DeAndre Swift. So I definitely like him. I don't know. I don't want to count out Cook or Kamara, especially, but I do think there's a bit of a drop off there to 12, uh, certainly Damian Pierce. And I don't know what I think about ETN at 13 yet. I, I lo- love the player, certainly. I just I have some concerns. I'll probably get over it. I'll probably have ETN more around where, where <laughs> Walker is. Uh, so, yeah, I think I have no problem with Walker. I don't want to lock myself into um, him being like a primary target there, but the player is good. I know we're, we're probably going to see uh, some doubt around him. The one thing to keep in mind, I guess, is they might re-sign Rashad Penny. I guess I should think about that. Uh, I don't think they're going to sign anyone other than Rashad Penny among norm, not, notable free agents, but they might re-sign him because he's probably going to be cheap and uh, he might take less money yet than other teams just for kind of like the convenience of not having to move, basically. Yeah. And, and sticking that, that would be a big driving factor for me. <laughs> Yeah, if, if Penny's back, uh, I actually would have to be totally against Walker at that price. Like, I know team politics at this point might dictate that Penny not get a real starting shot. I'm not saying Penny uh, just takes the starting job. But A, he could. And B, if they do open it up to any sort of actual competition, then Walker is in a lot of trouble. Not not for his you know personal career. He's going to have a great career either way. But as, as a second-round type pick in fantasy, um Penny can't be there for Walker because there's still a lot of evidence that Penny is the more effective player, just the less durable of the two. Right. So yeah, durability. So what, so free agency could really kind of uh, steer uh, the, the Walker ADP one way or the other. And, and yeah, at, at this stage, like, you know, if, if the going rate right now is, is a mid to late second round selection on, on him, I, I feel like that you're just kind of, giving yourself almost no room uh, for, for profit. That's true. Um, so his price that, isn't going to go up if Penny doesn't resign. N- yeah, exactly. So uh, it's, uh, yeah, he's a tricky one. And then, you know, you, you mentioned that, that Jacobs is the running back uh, going ahead of him. Do you think that, that that sounds about right as far as his ADP is concerned, a, a mid to late uh, second round type of guy coming off the year that he is? I bet we'll see that get higher. I bet he's going to start going sooner than that. I uh, don't know how high I expect, but uh, some of these, a few of these running backs, I think are going to creep up a little bit, like him included, uh, Jonathan Taylor and Barkley maybe included, like right now they're um, behind, it appears, uh, yeah, Austin Eckler. So I, I uh, and, and more specifically, like by, by a bit, like, uh, looks like, so for instance, like Taylor's going, six spots later than Eckler uh, as is Barkley. So I think those, those two running backs go up and then they're probably going to not pull Jacobs up too. Like I think Jacobs would go a little sooner either way, but uh, I don't know what to make of Jacobs because it would seem simple enough to say like, 
you know, the Bengals, the Raiders are going to franchise him. And, uh, you know, maybe he wants to leave, but maybe he won't be able to. I would say, <laughs> while Josh Jacobs might personally, uh, in his own life, hope to get away from the Raiders, uh, fantasy investors should hope that uh, his personal hell endures and that he is trapped <laughs> with the Raiders. And uh, that, because it really seems like something about um, Devontae Adams getting there really opened up something like that. It just, the way everything else McDaniels did, of course, was, was terrible. But the way McDaniels used Adams, seemed to make it almost impossible for defenses to also attend to uh, the gaps with that Jake, uh, that Jacobs could run through. Cause I, I like Jacobs. I don't think he's bad or I, I think he's good, uh, but he's not quite as good as last year's numbers and something changed and it wasn't him. So if that thing that changed is negotiable to, to turn for the worse or, you know, get taken away or whatever, then I, I definitely worry about having, overpaid for Jacobs in 2023 I, I can't assume returns like last year because the returns like last year would dictate the first overall pick obviously so mm-hmm. I, I don't I, I'm obviously his current ADP doesn't quite put that much pressure on him but I need to be prepared for the possibility that he's more like the player he was before this year which is a totally solid running back too right so yeah he was more like a mid to late fourth early fifth type of guy so obviously league winning type of performance from him this past year, but we, we can't quite expect it, it to go quite that well uh, again. And, you know, we, we don't know what their quarterback situation is, is going to look like either. So, you know, that all of a sudden that Devonte Adams factor might mean slightly less if, you know, they, they have some kind of scrubby quarterback or, or Jared Stidham type of thing. Jared Stidham would do it. Yeah. That'd be bad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, everyone will point to that one game and, and, you know, like soy face it, but um, I, I've, Mm. Uh, I'm they said he to, couldn't to do it. Against. They said he couldn't throw. Uh, they said he couldn't turn it over three times in a game. And you know what? I'm willing to, to double down on that one. Uh, your thoughts on Brees Hall uh, checking in right, right at that uh, two three turn? Uh, he tore his ACL obviously uh, in uh, week seven, so that's later on in the season than say J.K. Dobbins did a year ago when when he tore it in that final preseason game. And, you know, Dobbins didn't really start to look like himself until the, the later half of the season and obviously wasn't even active uh, for those first few weeks of the year. So is that a little bit too much optimism right now on Hall? Yeah. And particularly with, I think some of these other running backs are clearly underpriced. Uh, of course, I mentioned Taylor Barkley before, but um, to have, I love Brees Hall. I think he's a better player, better prospect than Jacobs, clearly when healthy. But given his ACL situation, it's insane to me that uh, 23.1 would be Jacobs and 23.2 would be Hall. Uh, Chubb, 25.8. ETN, 28.7. I don't think you should be taking Hall ahead of any of those guys. And I probably could find more names yet, but it probably would be a pretty inclusive list. Yeah, so... uh... Again, it's just that the names going around him, like I think that, again, you're you're just kind of uh, not really factoring the risk if you're spending a late second round pick on, on Brees Hall when, you know, there, there's a chance that he opens the season on, on Pup. You know, that there's promising reports thus far, but it's always promising, uh, you know, early on in a player's recovery when there's no risk to saying like, oh, he's yeah, he's ahead of schedule. It's like, well, we're, it's not going to matter until until training camp. Anyway. And a few of those guys, I don't know if he's ahead of them when fully healthy, and they don't have ACL tears. So, see, so that there we have it as far as Hall goes. So uh, a little bit skeptical on him 
uh, I'd be willing, you know, mid to late third round, obviously, but, uh, as it, as it currently stands, I, I don't know if I, if I'm getting in too much, uh, Brees Hall shares, um, as a late second, uh, type of pick, uh, your thoughts on Ramondre Stevenson. Um, he's going, looks like his ADP is 31.9. So, you know, a, a mid, uh, third round type of selection, uh, obviously, the, the Patriots invested at the running back position that uh, this past draft. Neither of those guys really did a whole lot. We, we both like them maybe a little bit in the long term. Do they start to eat into uh, Stevenson's production a little bit? You know, Stevenson had such a strong year. I don't think anyone expected him to catch almost 70 passes the way, the way that he did. Um, so do, does does uh, does that tide come back in a little bit when it comes to Stevenson as far as the, the passing game production? Stevenson's a tough one for me. I think it was very recently the case that people were way too high on him. Not so much for ADP reasons. Like I thought, you know, with his usage, getting whatever, 20 carries and five catches a game, like obviously that's a first round workload. So um, I don't need to convince myself that he's as good as the average person thinks he is uh, to still like him at a price much higher than this. Uh, I, I, I don't know what to make of the Damian Harris part. I do really believe that Damian Harris being hurt had something to do with why Stevenson had quite as much carries, especially as he did. But I don't know that they're going to resign Harris. Harris could go anywhere else. I don't know why he would stay in uh, with the Patriots when they've all but indicated he's not eligible to start there. Uh, mm-hmm. He can probably start in the NFL. He already did and had 15 touchdowns and like 200 carries for the Patriots. So uh, he's overqualified to be somebody's just third down carry specialist, like, like rotational carry specialist. So uh, if Harris leaves, uh, if, if Damian Harris leaves, I don't think Kevin Harris is going to take, you know, a workload similar to what Damian Harris did, not for a couple of years anyway, or not, not until 2024. Anyway, I do think Kevin Harris is a real deal and will be able to step up to be the backup, but I, I just don't think he's uh like even if he gets to be as good as Damian Harris someday, I don't think it's uh, it'll be like at least a year, I think. So uh, Pierre Strong, he's just a rotational guy probably. So I think Stevenson could settle in as a guy who gets like 20 carries and three to four. Ca- I think the catch count comes down, by the way. I think the target count comes down. Uh, the target rate, maybe I should say instead. Uh, that was a dysfunctional offense. Like a lot of the right. targets that he was getting were just because the Patriots couldn't throw the ball. And if you pay attention in the last like month or six weeks or whatever it was, Stevenson's returns as a pass catcher completely disappeared. Like defenses started sitting on his routes and he got nothing. So mm. um, he's not anywhere. He, he, people might look at his stats as a pass catcher and be like, wow, only, you know, only like five guys ever caught this many passes at running backs. Like, well, probably like 80 could have if they played in this offense. Yeah, and the, and uh, you know the Patriots for you tell that to to them, and they're probably going to be like, uh, well, we don't really want a repeat of that. Yeah, over his final six games, uh, three point three yards per reception uh, in that span. What well, you really want to find an ugly number? It's the catch rate multiplied by the yards per target in that stretch. Because I I feel like he was doing like yeah, like one yard a target kind of stuff. Yep, uh, th- thirty targets, uh, si- sixty-two uh, receiving yards over the, over those final six games, and uh, catching also uh, nineteen of those thirty, which is oh, not, en- not enough, not enough, not enough for like, a running that's, back. That's negative war for sure. See exactly. So uh, currently, uh, you know, I, I think there's reasons to be skeptical 
um, of Stevenson at his current ADP as well. And yeah, again, well, that offense I was just, broken. I'm only skeptical on. if he's if he's going like in the top twelve or something like that. I think I think Stevenson can largely be what people wanted like Najee Harris to be. You know, like a guy who just gets tons of catches and carries, even if he's not explosive. Okay. All right. So. All right, that that definitely checks out. Um, yeah, again, ADP thirty one point nine. You'll see these hype. Sorry, I keep inter- interrupting. Actually, you'll see these like you uh, these Twitter people like posting like hype clips to get, to get retweeted. And the Ramondre Stevenson is such a freaking beast. Look at this. It's like he's he's not that good. He's he's plenty good, but uh, his main utility is the volume that he can withstand as a two hundred and thirty pound back who's a really good pass catcher. Uh, he's not explosive. That career yards per carry is going to settle in in that 4.0 kind of range, and uh, that's fine. But it's it's a volume driven sort of production. He's not like he's not some kind of play. He's not like a game breaker. He's more just like a good running back. There we go. There we have it. Uh, so bear all of that in mind for your underdog uh, best ball drafts. And again, uh, sign up over at Underdog using that promo code RWNFL. Get that first deposit doubled up to 100 bucks. Get your six-month subscription to Roto-Wire and profit. Um, all right, so let, let's go ahead. Let's shift gears over to uh, the, the NFL draft, uh, namely uh, the Senior Bowl. I believe the East-West Shrine game is also going off this week. But I, I wanted to talk to you about a couple of guys uh, from, from the Senior Bowl specifically. I want to start things out at receiver. And I, I hate to throw cold water on, on this player because he was so good in college, but it's just it's hard to see it really working out in, in the NFL. And, I, and I'm talking about Nathaniel Dell, uh, also known as Tank Dell to, to friends. Uh, he's not a tank, unfortunately. He weighs not enough more than me. Uh, to be playing in the NFL. He he weighs like 168, I believe he he checked in at 163, I'm sorry, at, at five foot eight. So how do you balance Mario the you know hit the ability for him in you know I, I guess practice situations uh to you know cook for for lack of a better word the these defensive backs and and you know how do you marry up his production in college, his usage versus how that projects at the next level, because unfortunately I am kind of skeptical, not, not necessarily that he's another two, two at well, but maybe. You said he was, was it five, eight, one sixty three. Yes. Okay. And, um, is this one of those guys who has a rumored 40, 100 meter time? Um, I, I don't know if it's going to be, uh, where it needs to be. Like, okay. It, yeah. It would just, need I didn't it to be if, sub four, four, right? I didn't know if part, oh yeah, easily. Uh I didn't know if some of the legend with Dell was like, you know, they say he runs a four two five or whatever, because that would give me some pause, you know, I'd have to think a little bit longer that way. But yeah, five eight one sixty three is trouble. Uh it's it's even different from like five ten or five eleven one sixty three, you know, and it's uh normally I'd say density is good, but it becomes a red flag when a running uh, when a receiver gets closer to uh five foot eight. And then when he's also one, 163, it's like, if you're going to be five foot eight, uh, at least be like Olamide Zacchaeus, who I wrote an entire article about this week. <laughs> uh, he's, he's flat five foot eight, 188, you know, he's, he's not, he's 25 pounds heavier and he's a little guy. He's short and he still finds 25, he finds room for 25 more pounds than Dell. Uh, so if Dell is running like a four, three, five at that weight, it's not actually better than the four four nine Zacchaeus can run at twenty five pounds heavier 
at the same height. Um, so yeah, it's it's uh, you're gonna see people call Dell correctly, uh, fast and quick and things like that, but it's not as useful as being fast and quick on a much more dense frame. He's his frame is so short, so uh, light, so slight that you worry about the skills, the speed materializing on the field. Like there is a such thing as too small. And um, particularly because at 5.8, he's going to have to, you can be either Tyree kill fast, or you can work mostly underneath and almost always in the slot. So 163 is also a good 17 pounds south of Tyree kill. So Tyree kill. Yeah. He's great at going over the middle of these great, whatever depth Dell might have to only work underneath and in the middle and stuff like that. And being 163 is going to get him clobbered doing that kind of work almost no matter how fast he is. So um, I'd be interested in almost seeing if he could add weight and see how fast he is at that point. And if, if he can rebrand as kind of like, uh, you know, more yards after the catch or role player kind of guy, maybe it could work, but uh, I bet you're going to see some hype for him as something like a top like 50 pick or something like that. And I, I definitely reject that. And uh, I will say, though, it is possible that his speed is a little more legit than Atwell. Atwell was like, he ran like a 4.43 or something at a pro day, and he was like 165, you know. So if Dell can run more like a 4.35 at 163, then um, that would be different from Atwell. But the trade-off is Dell's much older than Atwell was when Atwell had his otherwise good Louisville production. Yeah, he is a good bit older, and, and uh, you know, Dell – Amazing player in college, almost 30 touchdowns over the last two seasons in a, in a 27 game sample, 1300 yards in each of those two seasons, you know, took on a, a massive amount of volume in those spans. Uh, we're, we're looking at like almost 300 targets over the last two seasons and and nine yards per attempt. So or per target. So like the, the production metric in his profiles is, is great. It's just you, you worry about the projectability and He's the so overall old, tools. Man. Like he's, he's like 23. Be, he's going to be 24 this year sometime, which is to say, uh, like if you look back through his his years, it's not, not like he, he's a bad player or anything. But when a player goes from good to great at an age that most prospects are joining NFL training camps, then that's a bit of a concern. Because like, are they are they actually getting better or are they just getting much older than the players that they're playing against? Yeah, that, that's a fair point, especially when you're playing against, uh, you know, American athletic uh, conference type of competition. Uh, someone who, who might be a little bit uh, l- less on the radar. I don't know how, how much you've dug into your Ivy league part of your, your prospect studying yet, but this guy has, has been making so, some noise this week as well. So I wanted to get your, your take here, Andre. I hope I'm not butchering this. I uh, for out of Hawaii played at Princeton uh, first team all Ivy League, 66 catches, 943 yards, seven touchdowns this past year. Uh, checks in at 6'3", 212, rumored to run in the four threes. Well, that would be really good athletic testing. I don't know anything about him, though. Um, I haven't watched Princeton, uh, but I'm trying to think. Like 6'3", 212, running in the four threes. Uh, it sounds a little bit kind of like Miles Austin coming out of Monmouth or whatever it was like 15 years ago or something. And he went undrafted. It sounds like this guy might get drafted, but uh, you know, Miles Austin was one of those size speed guys. And it's, uh, it, they're always a long shot when they come from a school like that. But as long as they produce there, and as long as they have standout NFL athletic metrics, then, um, you know, they, 
if, if they have tools like that, then the skills that they have will play on the field. Like it, it goes wrong for a lot of prospects when they know how to play football really well, but they're not big enough or fast enough for it to matter when they make the jump in the level. So uh, sounds like this guy has the tools, at least like if he fails in the NFL, it'll be because he didn't have actual football ability. Yeah. Okay. All right. That, that, so he's officially on my kind of watch list, I, I guess, yeah, when, when it comes to the I, combine. Um, yeah, I didn't hear about him before, but it, it's worth keeping an eye on for sure. Yeah. So keep keep an eye out for him. Um, apparently, uh, a couple of the Stanford guys have looked good. My, Michael Wilson in particular um, and, and Elijah Higgins is is a big guy, but I, I think he might almost be too big uh, to, to play receiver. So, you know, you, you start to question where the where the long speed comes in. Uh, for someone like him, have you looked at Grant Dubose at all out of UNC Charlotte? <laughs> I, I I think I know like a neurotic amount of stuff about these current Charlotte receivers because I've actually been monitoring Victor Tucker. Victor Tucker guy, now. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, not at this point. So I mean, not to cross him off or anything, but there's there's a real possibility that Charlotte just very quietly has three. NFL caliber receivers and no one cares because they play at Charlotte. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Dubose kind of pushed aside uh, Victor Tucker, who's their elder statesman by now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dubose is a, is quite a bit bigger than Tucker. Like Tucker was like 5'10", 180 or something. So uh, Dubose at 6'2", 204 has a credible outside receiver build. So his production is fine. Even So Dubose pushed aside Victor Tucker, and then they got that new one who kind of pushed aside Dubose this year. Uh, it is as long as that third one is good, then it is possible that all three of them are pretty good. And it's just, uh, you know, the Charlotte version of Ohio State or whatever. Um, so, uh, yeah, I don't know what I don't know much about Dubose, to be honest, but his production seems solid. Uh, I'll be interested to see what his testing numbers look like. Yeah, I, I always felt like he he looked like a, a legit NFL talent uh, coming into this year. And I, I don't think he really did anything to dissuade that that the yards per target dropped off by a yard and a half this year but I, I think also Charlotte had a lot of struggles as far as their their quarterback situation went particularly early in the season Chris Reynolds get getting injured uh you know that them having to ro- rotate in like James Foster Xavier Williams at, at quarterback like that's just not going to really goose up an NFL receiving prospects numbers but um, you know he's still able to catch nine touchdowns on 113 targets this past year still catch 60 uh over 60 passes for the second year in a row so uh i'm i'm at the very least you know looking at him as probably not a day two guy but like an early day three like round four round five uh someone that that could eventually you know work his way into a rotation yeah uh, um what were the john were there any other senior bowl guys that you wanted to get to or because uh, because not to backtrack too much, but I thought there were a few guys from that other bowl game that were pretty interesting, too. I can't tell how much time we have left. Sorry. Oh, yeah, we we, we uh, do have some time here. So um, I, I guess after uh, Dubose, like I, I can't remember. Who, oh, I was no, I was thinking of the East West game again. Um, who the, I can't really remember any other uh, senior bowl guys. I'm not that drawn in by the Stanford ones, but I, I also need to see the workout numbers, especially for Higgins. Uh, the other one I don't think is likely to really trip my radar all that much but uh he's definitely not i, I gotta keep an eye on him kind of thing because uh you know it, guys like him sometimes pop up in the nfl anyway and who is that uh, I, I can't remember the uh, the non-higgins stanford receiver uh, michael wilson uh, michael wilson yeah um so uh wilson I, i'm not trying to cross him off but uh higgins is more interesting but it's it's only like 
you know, Jamon Osbon was once interesting for his build, but if he if if uh, Higgins runs like a four seven seven, then I'm gonna be like, oh well, never mind. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I guess the the one other receiver I wanted to look at from this one, and then I wanted to talk about Tajay Spears uh, out of Tulane, but uh, Dontavian Wicks out of, out of Virginia. He's six two. Uh, two twelve uh, is what he checked in at, and you know he was a productive guy. That the Virginia offense this past year completely fell off a cliff, but in two thousand twenty one, fifty seven catches, one thousand two hundred three yards, nine touchdowns on ninety five targets. That's good for a twelve point seven yards per target average. Nice, yeah. Honestly, I gotta look into this guy more. I don't know much about him, but let's see. Um, trying to pull up the Virginia box score real quick um do you know is this wix guy supposed to be fast uh unclear i mean they, they definitely used him a, a bit downfield the, the previous year you know hence the nine touchdowns on, on 57 catches um but you know they, they had a very like varied offense um that they, they kind of used keaton thompson as the as like the slot guy tons of targets tons of catches that, that he had in 2021 i feel like 22 so this most recent season for Virginia is essentially a tainted sample. I think that, um, you know, them losing Bronco Mendenhall as the head coach and, and going over to Tony Elliott and just kind of stopping all the good positive momentum that that offense had built over the re- over the last couple of years really kind of set Virginia's offense back. And that, that's why Brennan Armstrong is gone, um, stuff like that, and that why why these guys are entering the NFL as, as opposed to, you know, maybe sticking around and seeing if they can challenge in the ACC that this coming season, it's, it's just kind of a mess there in Charlottesville. But uh, I do feel like Wix's per- performance in 2021 is enough to, to, um, to make you wonder it, or at least, yeah, like so override like he, a little uh, bit of the, the downgrade this past year. Yeah. It looks like he was something like four or five percentage points south of the team completion percentage baseline, but the yards per target was like four yards over the baseline. So I would call that uh, cumulatively well above the team baseline. I just kind of wish he got a little bit more than the uh, 25% share of the yardage, but I'm also willing to quickly overlook something like that because uh, he was playing next to a bunch of players who were much older than him. Like Keaton Thompson is older than him by at least a year. Uh, and in 2021, the year that Wicks was way above baseline was something like a 26% yardage share. Uh, Billy Kemp, Rashawn Henry, Jelani, J- Jelani Woods were all seniors. And I know in Woods' case, it was a fifth-year senior. So when you're still leading the team in receiving yardage and uh, touchdowns, and you got four players in a spread offense competing for targets with you who are between two and three or maybe even four years older than you, uh, that's definitely keeping you well on the short list for me. Uh, I will say that one year he seemed to be a bit dependent as kind of like a downfield guy catching like over 20 yards a catch. So um, if that's going to be his game in the NFL, I just need him to be kind of fast, you know, because if, you, if you're, if you're going to be good downfield, you need to get downfield fast enough for, to, to for your ability in that area of the field to matter. Right. Cause yeah, six two two twelve. That's not like the, the Mike Williams type of downfield guy either where, where it's just, and like I hate that kind of anyway. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I want you to stre- get that safety turning and running with you or beat the corner deep Two the, two outcomes I see as viable. Um, uh, yeah, but yeah, enough so of these if, jump balls. Yeah. And if, if, uh, if Wicks can run, like, so it, he's, he's pretty uh, well built by the way, he doesn't, he doesn't, um, 
if, if with a frame like that, he can play underneath if he's got the skill set. But uh, if he can run fast enough to get downfield, I think his production says like he can definitely do that at the very least. Uh, just just needs to be able to run like a sub four five kind of thing. Okay. All right. So um, uh, consider me hopeful. I was, uh, but yeah, I got to thank you for that tip off because I, I totally missed him before. But yeah, that, that uh, 2021 numbers are actually pretty interesting. Yeah, that, that's how he really got on my radar. I loved that Virginia team. And I, I was sad that, that uh, it all kind of fell apart that this past year. It could have been awesome if the system were able to remain in place. But s- such is life. Um, so uh, I guess, all right, we'll, we'll touch on Tajay Spears for, for a second. Um, before we move on, obviously he's a, he's a running back out, out of Tulane, uh, ended up leading the FBS in rushing yards this past year, obviously played 14 games. So that that's going to help. Um, but, and so he beat out Bijan by like one yard on like two more games. So take, take that for what you will, but Tajay Spears, five, nine, two Oh four insane production, pretty much the, uh, the last couple of years at Tulane, um, any interest on him and, and any like pulse check on you know where where his stock could be could be heading relative to some of these other running backs yeah definitely like Spears's production uh Tulane quietly is a little bit of a, a running back you down there uh with Dontrell Hilliard and Rob Kelly and, and uh Matt Forte and Moel Day Moore and now uh Ty J Spears he's a little bit lighter than some of these other running backs so uh ideally he would put some speed uh on the athletic testing that'd be really reassuring to see, but even if he's not truly fast, um, I think his production at Tulane is the kind that is good enough for long enough and in enough uh, quantity and, and enough explosive efficiency that you kind of got to give him more of a benefit of the doubt than you do some other running backs and specifically going from uh, like each year he's, he's, he's above six yards of carry and not just that in the last two years in particular, like he's, he's packing on some volume and he's maintaining that efficiency. And like, normally, normally the cost of, of an explosive uh, uh, part-time player getting put into a three down role is like, you lose that efficiency as you put more volume on them. But Mm -hmm. Spears, uh, the efficiency didn't go anywhere at all. It just seemed to stay extremely high. So um, the concern with him, as far as escalating his workload is only related to his durability which might be something of a concern. I don't really know. He's a bit light and he missed 2020 time, but uh, last and in 2021, he was more like their DeAndre Swift or whatever, like just getting like 10 carries a game before he got more work this year. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's great numbers. And if he's anything other than a bad athlete, then uh, there's a lot of reason to believe that he'll be a, a credible threat from scrimmage in the NFL. And, and he could be a lot more than that. He could be a good starter with a, you know, a couple other things accounted for. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm hopeful on him. I, I did love that, that two lane team that this year, uh, roll wave, uh, sugar bowl champions or cotton bowl, cotton bowl, cotton bowl champions over, uh, over USC. So yeah, that, that was, that game ruled. Um, and Tulane in, in and of itself ruled, especially when Tulane gets those, uh, the light blue jerseys with the angry wave white helmet. Oh, Oof. watch out. Yeah. Oh my. Um, Let's uh let's get on over. You you teased uh talking about him earlier and some of the other guys from the Shrine Bowl. I'm guessing you want to talk about Zay Flowers. Um a little bit. I actually I was I was thinking there were a couple other guys worth. Uh, oh, you hit me with the hezzy. Okay. Well, well, Zay Flowers 
it's interesting. And um, the, the, the news with him is he checked in at 5'9", 182, which uh, if you're 5'9", you're probably headed to the slot unless you're quite fast, which maybe Flowers is. But uh, being 5'9", 182, while not any sort of you know death sentence, it, it does mean like now you do need to run a sub 4'5", just to kind of stay as a viable consideration outside. And um, even if he is just a slot receiver, there's still a way for him to still be very good in the NFL. It's just, uh, you know, as Amon Ross St. Brown shows in an extreme outlier case, if you're just a slot receiver, it's fine if you're that good at just being a slot receiver. So it just puts more pressure on Flowers to be that good of a slot receiver and be that fast, particularly uh, if he's south of 5'10". But uh, conventionally, he's been regarded as a day two kind of pick all this time. And I, I think that's still on the table. Uh, he just needs to do a little bit more to make that happen now. Uh, but uh, not to skip him exactly, but th- there's a couple guys I thought were a little bit less brand names that were still pretty interesting. Uh, one guy, A.T. Perry, is, is a pretty conventional uh, projection, I feel like. Uh, he's, he's an unconventional unconventional prospect. He's huge. And, yeah, he's, he's, he's very tall. Uh, he checked in at 6'3 and 3 and 195, which is also skinny. But And, and it gets a little bit more uh, concerning yet when I mentioned he's also going to turn 24 this year, like Dell, like the Houston receiver. Uh, so I might seem like a hypocrite. Maybe I am a hypocrite, but uh, I might seem like a hypocrite, particularly because I'm, I'm saying Perry's got a better shot than Dell, even though they have the exact same production related concerns. Like uh, Perry didn't really take off until he turned 22 or something at Wake Forest. Uh, but the, the problem was he kept getting hurt too. Uh, so he, he, in his sophomore year, his sophomore year, they started giving him a lot of targets per game, but he got hurt in like the fifth game and missed the rest of the year. So I do penalize Perry for the otherwise great production that he had at Wake Forest the last two years, like 26 touchdowns on his last uh, 152 receptions on a uh, 264 targets, basically pushing for like 9.3 yards per target while scoring touchdowns at a rapid rate. And I don't think he can be like a wide receiver one, you know, like, I don't think he can be like a hundred catch receiver in the NFL, but Perry, when you watch him seems awfully fast for someone as tall as he is. And he seems awfully coordinated for someone as tall as he is. Like you, you see him run, you see his frame and his lankiness. Somebody like Marcus Valdez Scantling will come to mind, but then he'll stop and plant and juke. And you're like, Oh, now he doesn't look like Valdez Scantling. He looks like someone much smaller than himself. So uh, Perry's production is a little bit uneven. Like he's, he's not a, He's not a high catch rate guy. He needs to make the big plays for it to be worth it. Uh, but if he if he times as fast as he looks, I think we might have uh, like a 6'3", 195, 442, something like that with really good cone drills and stuff like that. That would make him – what would that make him? Um, it would uh, it would make him uh, like poor man's pickings or something like that. I don't know. Uh, something Something interesting in the round four kind of range to me. And, uh, yeah, I just think he's, he's, he's a player who, who could be a good NFL prospect despite being overage and, uh, being in the, you know, East West shrine game. The other one is a little bit more of a long shot yet that I was still intrigued by was that, uh, Louisiana Lafayette receiver. Uh, I always worry about getting this guy's name right because, um, particularly after nineties receiver, Michael Jackson, I, I, I worry about any Michael J name. Former, former Ravens great. Yes, exactly. And, uh, and so I, I, I was of, worried I was 
I have to look up this guy's name every time to make sure I don't get the last name wrong, but it's Michael Jefferson. It's not Michael, I, Michael Jefferson, Michael Johnson, Michael Jackson. I might've misremembered him as, as any of these things. His name is Michael Jefferson, uh, uh, Louisiana Lafayette. And, uh, he checked in a, a little bit skinny. It was like six four two oh two or something like that. But uh, he's interesting to me because he was a productive player at Alabama State, it looks like, before he transferred to Louisiana Lafayette. So he's overage, too, as a result of being like a five-year player. But he was productive in his earlier year playing time, too. So if, if you're productive only when you're older, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much going to doubt the player. But if they if they just didn't get the chance to produce earlier or if they did produce earlier, I'm willing to look past that. So uh, with Lafayette in 2021, Jefferson was just like a downfield specialist and he totally murdered. And then in 2022, they made him a three down starter and their wide receiver one. So uh, after 15.5 yards per target in 2021, it dropped to 9.3 in 2022. But that was still pretty good. Uh, there's some solid tape of him. So he's one of those guys who, if he just tests as a better than average athlete, he could get as high as like the kind of day, uh, um, like round four or five kind of range for me, even though he's kind of a non-entity in the meantime. Interesting. That's a that's a deeper cut that, than I was expecting. And when you're saying Michael J at first out of Louisiana Lafayette, my brain went to Michael Jacquette. Ah, that sounds like a guy who plays for Lafayette. Yeah, yeah. Does he? St- I don't even know if he's still in the league. I think he was a defensive back from from a couple years ago. Sounds but. like a that's a very Nickelback kind of not the uh, very uh, yeah Nickelback kind of name. <laughs> and I, then, like it just sounds like a guy who's five eight one seventy five. Are you going to watch? This is kind of unrelated to anything tangentially Ravens, I, I suppose. But you gonna watch that thirty for thirty about the two thousand Ravens defense? Oh, I might. I don't know if I'm going to do it anytime soon, but I, I might. The problem for me, the reason I wouldn't watch that if I if I wasn't going to watch it is like I just remember it anyway. So, uh, yeah, that's I actually should I should remember in the future when when arguing with uh, Pinkerton employees who are seeking uh, bylines and, and fantasy football and, and sports media are talking about how stupid linebackers are. I, I really do think it's a trump card on, on, you know, pulling out these people for the frauds that they are. Is like, what do you remember about Ray Lewis? Right. Like, uh, what? Well, the well, the war, the war thing that I came up with 10 minutes ago says that uh, he, he wasn't he was worth uh, uh, you know, whatever, 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 uh, six million dollars a year. Like, uh, if you don't know what Ray Lewis did that year, um, you are not a real football fan, in my opinion. Correct. Like you just this is this is one of those necessary histories uh, to to avail yourself to 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 consider yourself like a real participant. You're just like a poser otherwise. So uh, yeah, if you don't remember Ray Lewis, and if you're not familiar with what Ray Lewis did in 2000, uh, that's that's like a necessary condition for saying the the idiotic word vomit we get about linebackers today. Like the, a linebacker can't affect a game. Ray Lewis won a Super Bowl. That yeah. happened. Ray <laughs> Lewis won a Super Bowl, not just truly himself, but he was clearly the most important player on that Ravens team. And uh, yeah. Super Bowl MVP, he, uh, defense player of the year, I, I believe. Uh, just ridiculous uh, on a defense that was loaded uh, with, with with talent. You know, Peter Bulware, Chris McAllister, Rob Woodson, Tony Saragusa, God rest his soul. Um, yeah, I mean, it was that was a preposterous it defense. It was a loaded defense for sure. And uh, yeah, he was. It was it was a singular thing. Like if you didn't 
and to be fair to these people, like I, I understand that it's because they didn't see Ray Lewis that they believe these nonsense things about linebackers now. And I understand that Ray Lewis is not a basis for making general linebacker policy. But uh, to deny the possibility is to just say you don't know who he is. And yep. that's a ridiculous thing for a, a so-called you know, football analyst to have to say. God. They, they had like a five-game stretch where they didn't score a touchdown. And they still went like two and three in that stretch. Yeah, I mean, I don't, what, what did he have like four touchdowns that year? What was it? it was like he had he had just insane. He'd be like winning games for them on a but weekly basis. He, the the Eddie George play in in the AFC divisional round against the Titans, where he just stole the ball from him. It's oh. like you know the James Harrison Super Bowl. That was Ray Lewis all the time in yeah. two thousand. <laughs> oh, so good, so good. Um, before we we wrap up here. Um, Julia, uh, has a couple of questions here for you. Um, let's see here. Uh, how would you rank these four, uh, between Najee Harris, Kenneth Walker, ETN and Brees Hall? Uh, let's see. Uh, let's see. This is, um, Najee Walker, ETN and Brees in redraft. I would put, Probably, oh man, that's tough. I'd probably put ETN first uh, out of acknowledgement of Brees Hall's knee injury. And I would put Walker at or above ETN if I could get assurance that Rashad Penny doesn't re-sign with Seattle. But I am a little worried about that. So for now, I'm going to say ETN ahead of Walker, but with like a little asterisk about how I have the right to uh, raise Walker like 40 spots if Rashad Penny doesn't re-sign. Uh, and then, um, then oh man, the, the Najee Brees part is tough. I'm going to say Najee and then Brees, just cowardly reason. I just, I don't know what to assume about Hall's knee, even though I think Hall is way better the player-wise. Right, and I, I the thing about Najee, we, we didn't fit him into the best ball segment so much, but I, I was wondering about him. His ADP is not ridiculous, of, of it's course. It's going to be probably like, low next year. People hate that guy now. It's so, it's so annoying when this happens, when people get ridiculous expectations for a player, specifically as an expensive fantasy pick, and then they resent that player the rest of their career because like it didn't quite happen the way these people wager these way these people's wagers would have liked. But um, and I was critical of him as a prospect. Like I wasn't like I I said I don't see him as even close to ETN. But now it's gone the other way too far. People are like Jalen Warren's better. Right, yeah. Stop, that, stop. 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 Yeah. Turn it off. <laughs> easy now. Easy now. Um. But I do worry about. Well, I guess there will be some continuity. Uh, as far as like the Steelers offensive system, not necessarily that continuity is the greatest thing when it's a Matt Canada offense. First uh, time he's not uh, been fired or taken a new job in like 12 years. <laughs> yeah. That, that dude bounces around. Um, but there's also the, the element here and I don't know who the potential cap casualties are, but uh, the Steelers, they have $330,000 in cap space to play around with. So I, I don't think that they can fix the offensive line this off season. Yeah. Uh, with that much cap space comes a certain need to spend. Cause it's like, if you don't, there's something like if you're not at um, the, the amount that you roll over in unused cap space, you have to, uh, the hell is it? You have to spend like 85% over the salary floor the next year. Mm -hmm. So they are probably going to spend some, and I guess the receiver market, there's nothing there. And they don't need one. So I don't know. Maybe they can maybe there's some offensive linemen more than one that they can just go out and buy and 
Uh, one thing I'll say is Mike Tomlin is not tanking. He's it's not mm-hmm. on the table. Like the Steelers are going to win at least eight games forever as long as he's there. And so if they do better than that, Harris will likely reap some benefit. And if uh, if it's if it's a down year, if it's the worst year possible for them and they only win eight games, then I guess you might get something like last year. So, it, all right. Well, well said there. Yeah, it's it. I don't think it can be as bad as it was the, this past year. It almost has to be better, especially as long uh, oh, as hey, Mike John. Tomlin is there. Yep. It uh, looks like Julia was also asking about B. John, I assume in like Dynasty or wait, I guess that'd be redraft. Well, I'll say in redraft, I'll put B. John ahead of Walker. I'm open to ahead of ETN. I'm not going to criticize anyone putting B. John Robinson ahead of ETN. I might not make that choice myself at this point because I'm not convinced Robinson really gets a, a full offense to himself. But uh, 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 Robinson doesn't get a full offense to himself. But Robinson is very, very good. He's, he's going to be a, a, some version of very good. Where, where does he rate on the Jonathan Taylor meter for you? Different I, player, of course, but... Yeah, for me, he's probably beneath... It's not settled yet. Like, I, I need the, the athletic testing before I decide for sure what I think about him. Uh, but I think I've said, and I think I'm prepared to stand by, Deuce McAllister is something like a worst-case scenario for me for Robinson. So I, I am extremely... I think, he's, I think he's better than Brees Hall. I think he's better than Travis Etienne as a prospect for fantasy reasons anyway. Um, and uh, Robinson is going to be close to Taylor uh, one way or another, but for Taylor, uh, for, for Robinson to catch Taylor, I need, I need Robinson to be like Adrian Peterson level good, which is exactly what Jonathan Taylor was as a prospect. So uh, I know Robinson's going to go way higher, but he's probably going to weigh less than Jonathan Taylor. He's probably going to run a slower 40 by up to 0.15 seconds. And his production was not better at Texas to me. So uh, I need Robinson to be less of a Deuce McAllister and more like the what I've called like the maybe highest range outcome, which is Edrian James, which uh, Edrian James ran like a low 4-4 or a high 4-3 or something. Edrian James was a, was a total freak athlete, and, and we don't know what level of freakishness as an athlete Robinson might be yet. There's some. There were some times, especially like uh... – when he started like fully breaking out uh, his sophomore year, like that if you cut on in, you should do this just because it's one of the best games in in recent years, but the red river game from 2021 where Caleb Williams came in for Oklahoma. Holy smokes. There's some Bijan tape in there. Uh, Oh yeah. uh, You should avail yourself too. Yeah. It's um, he's so I, I, I see projections of him going in like the top 10, top 15. And I think a lot of people for a lot of observers, that's like in itself proof that he's a better prospect than Taylor or whoever. Cause he got drafted higher. Mm-hmm. I just think Taylor always should have been drafted in that range too. So I'm not trying to say Robinson isn't worth it, but I still, I, I, I still think he has like a rather narrow path to being clearly better to me than Taylor. And it, it not to spend too much time on it. Cause it doesn't matter to me either way. I, I still think he's an all pro, whatever the specifics. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And I guess the, the edge that uh, maybe people will, will bring up for Bijan versus Taylor in in terms of their prospect analysis might be the, the pass catching element. Could be. Uh, I just don't think that uh, he's that much better than Taylor that way. And I, I think okay. uh, if, if Taylor is able to give you 1800 yards at five plus yards per carry, like that's a category of production that only Nick Chubb in the meantime can approach. Like no one else can do that. So as a running ability, that's, that's uh, I guess, yeah, where, where Taylor would be toughest to catch. Cause I would assume 
at worst, Robinson is like as good as a pass catcher as Taylor. I just don't know if it's uh if he is better. I don't know if it's enough. I don't know if it matters enough to you know bridge whatever gap I, I kind of think there probably is between as a runner and which is to say, you know, the very best of a twenty year span to merely you know three to five or something. Okay, all right. So some good some good just kind of objective analysis there on Bijan. It, it is getting crazy, but he is, you know, obviously the, the best running back prospect that we've had in a little while. So it's understandable. I will say, John, I think for fantasy, I, I have Gibbs just as high, even if I don't think he's Ooh. as, you know, PPR world. Uh, in the 90s, mm-hmm. I would not be saying this. <laughs> but yeah, Gibbs, also important to he's remember, sick. Uh, he's sick. Uh, no question about it. Like just... Y- leaps and bounds better than everyone that was on the field with him at Georgia tech obviously got used better at Alabama this past year. Um, but he's not Alvin Kamara. So let's, uh, I would say, I I, I think it's on the table, John. Okay. Uh, All right. uh, Kamara Kamara was not, uh, himself at Tennessee either. That's true. That's true. Um, well, that's good job. Butch Jones uh, on that one. We love Butch. (laughs) Butch. Um, I think that's going to do it for us uh, here on on this edition of the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. Again, brought to you by our friends over at Underdog. Remember, use that promo code RWNFL when you sign up over at Underdog. Get your deposit doubled. Get a six-month subscription to Rotowire. All good things. Until next time, Mario, I'm John McCagney. Thanks for listening. Try Rotowire today, free for 10 days. Get our premium tools, rankings, analysis, and breaking news alerts. No credit card required. Go to rotowire.com forward slash try.